Mm-hmm. Testing, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. When after about seven miles riding on this lovely launch going down Waterton Lake, crossing the United States-Canadian border, you get directly under a huge mountain called Goat Haunt Mountain. You debark. There's a pier and there are some new buildings. They were built in 1966 because in 1964 most of them were washed away in a terrible flood that struck out in this part of the world. Something like 16 inches of warm rain came down in the first week of June and throughout the whole lake system just tremendous horrible things happened. This lake, Waterton Lake, rose eight feet in what was it, 24 hours? Uh, yes, or 12 hours. In 12 I... hours, yeah. And down in the United States side too, you can still see the results of this flood. Well, anyway, about a half a million dollars was appropriated by our government, and we built new homes for the rangers, the fire guards, the lookouts, and a new pavilion where you're free to go and receive a short lecture by the United States ranger naturalist. You feel quite uh, far from civilization when you're down there, don't you? You really do. It is a very remote spot. It's a spot that can be reached on the American side only uh, by trails. There is no road into it. The ranger explained to us that there had at one time, many years ago, been a logging trail in. And, uh, the logging business failed, and so the road deteriorated, and there is now no road in from the American side. The rangers have to come into Canada to do their shopping, and they come by boat, so that it, it comes as a great shock almost to see these beautiful brown and turquoise buildings, uh, very well kept, and this, I should say, for all of the National Park buildings, they are beautifully maintained. The uh, restrooms are so spotlessly clean and done in such lovely colors, you're pretty impressed at being an American and wandering around and appreciating them, but this one does seem so very remote from the world when you get there. So then you get back on the boat, and you come back up the lake and it's a lovely ride you can be either outdoors up on the top deck or down underneath joe and i were both pretty badly sunburned so we stayed out of the sun on this trip and just admired the mountains the lake which like all the lakes out there is the turquoise blue of the glacier fed streams and that's it it's a great way to spend a day so the next time you're out in the west either in alberta or down in the western part of the united states try and make it up and plan a stay at the prince of wales and when you're in the lobby take a look at what must be one of the most magnificent chandeliers the world has ever seen. Oh, it really is. It's a black wrought iron thing that is three stories high and still so simple. It's just magnificent. It's worth a trip. So at that spot, we will leave you. Oh, I didn't tell my story. Oh, that's... The greatest <laughs> thing in the world happened to me. Uh, the morning we were to leave, I decided what I wanted to do was to take my camera and go right outside the great three glass windows and take a shot down the lake, you know, the lake, the mountains, the whole bit. So I was outside and Joe was inside and I started shooting my camera and all of a sudden through the viewfinder that I was looking through, I saw two little pointed things come up into the, the opening and I wonder what, what is that? And I tilted the camera down just a little bit, and there was a two-year-old buck standing, looking at me. He wasn't more than, oh, 100 feet in front of me. Come right up the sheer bluff in front of the hotel, and he was looking at me with a quizzical look on his face. And I must have jumped because there he was. And I thought, well, what'll he do now? And he stood there completely at a position of alert for just a few seconds, and then trotted right across in front of me and off and over the other side. Joe was inside the whole hotel and thought maybe I had missed the whole thing, that I'd been shooting over his head. But I got him. 
and at this moment, we both can't wait to get home to see the pictures and see if I really got my deer. Right. So that's our story about the Prince of Wales. Go and see it. It's well worth your time and your money. Joe and I are sitting on the Empire Builder, the Great Northern uh, Railroad train, bringing us back from Glacier Park to Chicago, and we're taping a few of the observations that we've made in this last week of hiking, walking, climbing, and walking and walking and walking, so we won't forget them. I think if anyone deserves credit for the development of this thousand-mile-plus hunk of land, of mountains and sky and glacier and snowfields, it should be the Great Northern Railroad. This is a railroad that runs across the northern part of the United States, as the name implies, Chicago to St. Paul and across to Portland, Seattle. So their business is to haul freight and people. And back about the turn of the century, they had a feeling that this vast, open wonderland could be developed for tourist travel. And so Glacier Park Lodge, I think, should be the beginning of the story of Glacier Park, don't you? Well, fine. It, it is uh, the first stop that you can make on the train. You can get off at East Glacier, Montana, and uh, Glacier Park Lodge dominates the town of East Glacier because a very small town with a few small motels. One small hotel that stays open all winter, which Glacier Park Lodge does not do. Uh, Glacier Park Lodge has 180-some rooms, I think, so it handles a fair number of people, though it's not as large as many Glacier. It is, I think, the most um, city-fied of the hotels in the park. You, the, the most sophisticated atmosphere, perhaps, though uh, by no stretch of the imagination, is it very modern? Or Hilton Hotel, as you uh, no, 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 no. Uh, you, you do not go to any of the hotels in Glacier Park for the um, facilities available. The food is very good, but it is certainly not what you would consider gourmet. There is a wine list, but it is a very modest wine list. Uh, there are bathrooms, but if you live in a house that was built in 1910 or 1915, you have a fair idea of what most of the bathrooms are like. Some of them have been modernized, and shower stalls have been put in. But in general, you have the feeling that you are in a very old building. However, it's been very well kept up. It's very clean, very comfortable. And as I say, I think this one gives you the feeling of a, a resort hotel. It has a heated swimming pool. It has a nine-hole golf course. It has lovely formal gardens out front, which none of the others That's right. have. Uh, I understand that in another month, the delphinium will be six feet high, and that it is just a whole sea of delphinium right from the railroad station right up the front walk. And you do walk from the railroad station right up to the hotel, and it is very close. 150 yards, about. One of our drivers told us that the building that is uh, Glacier Park Lodge was originally used in a Seattle exposition, he thought, but at any rate, it had been an American building in um, some one of the world fairs and was then dismantled and brought to Glacier Park and put up there in 1914. Uh, many Glacier was built earlier. Many a Glacier was built in 1910. So Glacier Park Lodge was the second of the hotels to be built. Uh, but it is the one that you reach first by train. And it seems to be the one that people reach first by driving. Well, so it more or less, people. it opens the door to Glacier National Park, don't you think? Yes, I this think This is where people so. come in and say, now, where do I go? What do I do? So this is kind of the kicking off spot. And the, uh, perhaps unhappily, many people stay there instead of moving on to the other hotels in the park. And the scenery is the least at Glacier Park Lodge. Now, that's not to say that 
that it's not lovely scenery, but you're just on the very edge of the mountains. You look off in one direction, and you see the plains of Montana, and you look off in the other direction, and you do see the mountains, but they, they just aren't as impressive as the mountains that you find as you go back farther into the park, where you see the mountains that are snow-capped all year round. The story of Glacier Park Lodge, to me, again, has to be the story of its construction and its lobby. Huge vertical pine trees. The whole great round massive tree formed the verticals for the three or four stories of the lodge. And then the great notched beams that go overhead are maybe 18 to 20 inches in diameter. So wherever you look, you get the feeling that you're in the middle of a great pine forest. Tables in the lobby are maybe 10 to 15 feet long. A tree cut right in half lengthwise and then set on something similar to sawhorses, must weigh a jillion pounds. Uh, I can see one in our living room, we go right straight through the floor into the basement. Uh, but then the top of the, the cut of the tree all shined and polished and you see the grain. So everywhere you look, you see the wood. Uh, that was what impressed me most about the lodge was the, the verticals, uh, the pine trees. Yes, well, it does look as if it's built right out of the forest that stands all around it. And I think this is particularly good. And it has a very western look. It has a very ranchy look to me with the, mm -hmm. the uh, balconies. Don't have the, the Swiss feeling that some of the other buildings have. The dining room has a very early American feel, and it's very pleasant and comfortable. And right at the moment, there's a very good trio playing in the lounge. The Mike Harrison trio from Wisconsin. Yes, <laughs> they'll probably only be there this summer, but there are three boys who are music majors and who turn out very good modern jazz, and it was kind of pleasant. And again, this is the only hotel that supplies the jazz sound. Some of the others have string trios that play before dinner and during dinner, uh, but this one has the big city feel of jazz at cocktail time. To sum it up, there are four major lodges in Glacier National Park, each one with a completely different personality. There are motels and campgrounds in the vicinity, too. Uh, we don't want to just cover the hotel lodge, and, uh, but each one of these lodges has its own personality, and this to us was one of the interesting things traveling through Glacier. And a tip of the hat to the Great Northern Railroad again for seeing something more than just hauling people from the middle part of the country to the west coast. They saw something here about 1900 that was spectacular, and we are so grateful that our country's been able to hold on to it so that we don't see lakes with little 50-foot lots on them, so that you see trails that are clean, and they really are. Glacier National Park is something to be seen before you die. Make a note of that. This I shall choose to call thoughts recorded on a mountain. And if the birds cooperate, and if sounds come through the pine trees, perhaps you'll be, perhaps in what I say, you'll be able to close your eyes and put yourself with us. I've never done this before, carried a tape recorder halfway up the side of a mountain. We are probably about 5,000 feet above Lake McDonald. And look right down on it. Most beautiful blue that you've ever seen in anybody's painting. You can see at the tops of pine trees. If 
I swivel my head just a little bit, I look right straight across at the most awesome sight of mountains covered with... In fact, Joe and I are lying here, sort of halfway across a climbing trail, boots off. We carried along our lunch, fried chicken and ham and cheese sandwiches and a quart of orange. And I walked right off the trail over to a pile of snow and dug the snow out, put it in paper cups and the orange juice. And if that wasn't the best drink I've ever had, then you're wrong. I swivel my head to the left farther. I see across a valley a great basin that is filled with snow and or ice, possibly a glacier. It gives you a funny feeling when you sit like this because all of a sudden the world that is so much of your life is all gone, completely wiped out. We haven't seen a soul since we left the camp. We started to climb about quarter of nine this morning. It's now past one. We've stopped for lunch. We're up on the side of Mount Brown. And it's just the most completely alone feeling you can have. We have seen no tracks of any people. We've heard no sounds of any. I did see the wake of a boat down on Lake Donald about half an hour. That's all. Joe is lying here with her eyes shut. You want to say anything? <laughs> say something. Yeah, you know, anything. I don't care. Well, I'm just sort of coming awake to say it. It's such a lovely spot to just relax, think, or dream, or even just sunbathe. Clear. Little puffy. Does that mean it's going rain? <laughs> there you are. So go back to sleep, Al. After a while, we'll put our boots on and wander back down the trail. A most amazing conglomeration of switchbacks and very steep climbing. And this is what we came to find. And I said a minute ago, if we had to get on the train and go right back now, it would have been worth it. Because to me, just a few minutes like this, of looking forever at nothing and everything, makes it all 